0: Welcome to the Voice of Pancreatic Cancer podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Weinberg, and if you don't know about the Sina Magowitz Foundation, we're a nonprofit that's committed to the awareness, prevention, and cure of pancreatic cancer. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Dr. Rechna Shroff, and she is the Chief of GI Medical Oncology at the
1: University of Arizona Cancer Center. Welcome, Dr. Shroff. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: I'm so uh, excited about the story that we're going to talk about, one of our warriors, Sue Chase. Um, But first, before we get into all of that, just wanted to say a thank you to our sponsors. Uh, Without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we're able to do. So, Dr. Shroff, um, let's start with your background. I want to hear more about your journey, what led you to Arizona.
1: Sure. Well, I actually am from Tucson, Arizona. I was raised here. I graduated from high school, and then I and then I left. I went to college and med school on the East Coast, and then started to work my way west. Probably because snow was not for me. Um, but I knew right from the get-go that I wanted to do uh, internal medicine and medical oncology. And so I did my internal medicine training at Washington University in St. Louis, and then I matched for fellowship training in medical oncology at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. So I moved to Houston in 2007. And then after completing my fellowship training there, I joined the department of GI medical oncology on faculty there in 2010. Uh, And so I did my my junior faculty or my assistant professor time at MD Anderson, and that's really where I developed my focus and niche, which is really clinical research specializing in pancreatic and biliary tract cancers. Uh, And, you know, as I'm sure everybody that's listening knows, pancreatic cancer has unfortunately a pretty uh, dismal prognosis, and there is a need for more drugs, uh, more cancer therapies. And so that's really what drew me to GI oncology is wanting to be involved in drug development and identifying new, uh, successful cancer therapies for pancreas cancer. Uh, and then along the way, uh, I basically became, uh, focused on biliary tract cancers kind of by accident. There was not anybody focusing on biliary tract cancers at MD Anderson at the time. And so myself and one of my colleagues started to take on those patients and treat those patients. And in the process of taking care of these patients, we learned about the needs for drug development in that space as well. And so it became a passion of mine in addition to pancreas cancer. Uh, And then in 2018, I was recruited to be the chief of GI oncology here at the University of Arizona Cancer Center back home in Tucson. Uh, So of course, it was essentially kind of a homecoming. My parents still live here and my two young kids were excited to be near grandparents. But it was really more about the opportunity here at the university. Uh, They were looking to rebuild and grow the GI cancer research program. Uh, You know, in its heyday, Dr. Van Hoff was actually our uh, cancer center director. And of course, with his amazing leadership, we had quite a strong GI cancer program. And so the hope was to grow clinical research and clinical trials uh, in GI under my leadership. And so I started here in 2018, and it has been fantastic being back in Tucson and watching the immense growth and trajectory of our clinical and translational research in GI since I've come back. And not not that it's just been me. Obviously, it's been a huge team effort.
0: (laughs) So cool. Well, let's talk about Sue Chase. how did you two get introduced?
1: We'll just start from the beginning. <laughs> sure. So we actually got introduced by Dr. Renhoff. Uh, her daughter uh, works with Dr. Renhoff for the, um, some of the events that the Cinemagoer Foundation uh, sponsors. And so I believe when Sue was diagnosed with uh, a type of biliary tract cancer, gallbladder cancer, which is a rare cancer, we only see about seven thousand cases a year in this country. Um, uh Sue's daughter, Nicole, reached out to Dr. Van Hoff and, and said, help. <laughs> and Dr. Van Hoff, uh, having known about some of the research that I was doing in biliary tract cancers, put them in touch with me. And so uh, she came to see me here at the University of Arizona, and we started her on treatments here. And she was, uh, you know, so wonderful in the sense that she, even though she doesn't live in Tucson, she basically kind of set up shop here. And we, we had the honor and privilege of taking care of her from the beginning.
0: And why do you think that uh, Dr. Von Hoff referred her to you specifically?
1: So I was involved in a phase two clinical trial uh, that I ran when I was at MD Anderson Cancer Center that looked at a combination of a, of a chemotherapy regimen. It was a triplet chemotherapy regimen, so three chemotherapies. The standard cocktail of chemotherapy for biliary tract cancers is um, are two drugs: gemcitabine and cisplatin. And so, I, I in this study, we added a third chemotherapy, nab-paclitaxel or albumin-bound paclitaxel, to this uh, two drugs. Regimen, And in the process of that 60 patient study, we basically found uh, really fantastic uh, responses, tumors shrink, uh, like we've not really seen before in biliary tract cancers. And, um, you know, the overall survival, the outcomes of these patients was better than what we had historically seen with gemcitabine and cisplatin alone. And interestingly, out of the 60 patients, 12 patients had been told that they did not have an operable tumor. They did not have a potentially curative surgery that could be offered to them but by having such a tremendous response to the triplet chemotherapy, they were actually being, they were able to go to the operating room and undergo curative therapies, um, which was a really unexpected, but obviously wonderful side effect. Um, And so based on that, we actually started a, a large randomized national phase three study to really understand if the triplet regimen was truly better than the standard of care of gemcitabine and cisplatin. So this was a randomized study that's being run and sponsored by the NCI and is being run through SWOG, the Southwest Oncology Group, which is a cooperative group that uh, the University of Arizona is part of. And I'm the national PI for that study. Um, Dr. Van Hoff obviously is very familiar with nab-paclitaxel because it is a very well-known uh, drug in the world of pancreas cancer, and he is the man behind it In when it comes to pancreas cancer. And that triplet regimen of gemcitabine, cisplatin, and nabpaclitaxel, the, uh, the doses and the safety data all actually came out of a pancreas cancer study that him and his team led um, in pancreas through the Honor Health System. And so he knew about my triplet work because it was very similar to the triplet he was testing in pancreas cancer. And so he knew that that study Uh, that I was running was open and that I would be that point person for Sue to to kind of get plugged in with.
0: Okay, and then was Sue's um, case unique to the other people in the trial, being that she didn't have pancreatic cancer?
1: Well, my trial, so the trial that's ongoing, or that was ongoing, the phase three trial across the country is for biliary tract cancer. So it's for cholangiocarcinoma, which is bile duct cancer and gallbladder cancer. So by having gallbladder cancer, she was eligible for that trial.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't um, a blended then with, with pancreatic cancer as well, or?
1: No, totally separate from um, the ongoing work, which is actually a trial, but still ongoing um, with Dr. Hoff's uh, team and, and under his leadership in pancreas cancer. They're moving that triplet regimen forward in that disease as well.
0: Okay, awesome. And um, what, what were your um, thoughts on Sue's results specifically?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, well, first of all, I mean, she is a warrior because a triplet regimen it's three chemotherapy, so it's it's not easy. Um, it is definitely something that you know causes side effects that that can can wear on you. I mean, there's fatigue, there's nausea, uh, there's hair loss, um, and it's hard on your bone marrow. It's hard on your blood counts, and so it can drop your white blood cells and red blood cells and platelets. Uh, and so it is not necessarily for for somebody who maybe couldn't is not at feeling at their best. And so Sue looked great when we met her and, you know, was active and and going to the gym and working out. And so we knew she would be able to tolerate the triplet. Um, And she took it like a champ. uh, And we did a good couple months of this regimen. And she had a really nice response, a very nice response in her tumor. She was initially told she was not uh, a surgical candidate. She was not somebody that could undergo a curative surgery for gallbladder cancer, and um, and so her hope and my hope was for us to give uh, GAP, as I call it, that's the regimen, to give GAP and to see the response that we needed to be able to take her to the operating room. And sure enough, that's basically what we saw. So she, you know, thankfully not only tolerated it well, but the two tumor responded in a way that uh, that convinced the surgeon that it would be the right idea to go in and surgically remove the tumor and and cure her.
0: So amazing. And how does it feel for you? I mean, personally, when you see successes like that?
1: Oh, there's, there is nothing better. There is, um, you know, it is hard to treat pancreatic and biliary cancers. Uh, These patients, you know, not that they don't fight as hard as they can, but it is hard to watch patients um, suffer. And it's hard to watch um, people die from, from these diseases. And so when you have these successes and you, you see, you know, Sue's face every time smiling and just so determined uh, it is, it re-energizes you and it reminds you why we're doing this. Um, You know, it's, there's, there's no better feeling. And, you know, the big trial, the big phase three trial that's ongoing, I was just telling one of my trainees that I got an email from an investigator in, um, at UC Davis who showed me, uh, a picture of a patient who has been alive with, uh, biliary tract cancer for well over a year on gap on the triplet regimen on my, on the trial, um, and has had a fantastic response to the tumor. And so she sent me a picture of him walking his daughter down the aisle. Um, and you know, that's, that's it. That's all that matters. It, like what, that's what we're doing this for. And those are the milestones and moments that we're trying to get, get for our patients.
0: Yeah, and it's stories like that that it really puts it into perspective for even for people like myself. I mean, we're fundraising to to fund clinical trials like this, but you when you hear the personal stories, it really uh, makes it exactly really exactly. Um, well, that that is one thing I also wanted to ask you about when you think about um, foundations like the Sina Magowitz Foundation and their involvement in clinical trials and fundraisings and things like this. Um, What do you, what do you feel about that? I mean, do you think that's important?
1: Oh, it is so, it's so vital. And you know, I, I wish we could say that there was endless supplies of money for to support research coming out of the NIH and the NCI and even from industry, but that's just not the case. And so, you know, philanthropic organizations, foundations that are based on the premise of raising money to support research, that, that's what's really moving our needle forward. Um, You know, I see it by being involved with organizations like ASCO, which is the professional society um, for oncologists, you know, their Conquer Cancer Foundation. I'm i um, I'm a donor there because I really do think I think research is where we need. Uh, support where we need money uh, because everybody has ideas. Do, you know, Dr. Monhoff probably wakes up every day with a new idea, um, and we have questions that we want to ask. We have new drugs that are available, and so it's the it's the incredible support and and efforts of thing of people and foundations like the Cena Magowitz Foundation that help us keep the engine moving and keep us pushing forward. Because if you look about, if you think about where we were even one or two decades ago, the immense progress we've seen, it it comes from that. It comes from people supporting those research efforts.
0: Um, I was doing a little bit of research on you and kind of reading some things that you've written. And I noticed that you are passionate about doctor-patient communication. So I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about that.
1: Sure. You know, I think developing an open and trusting relationship with a patient and a and a physician is really key. I mean at the end of the day, the patients that I treat are there's they're sick and they have um they have diagnoses that very likely could take them from us. And so for them to have trust and faith in their physician is just it's so important and it's so vital. Uh, and It's, to me, very important for me to be transparent about the intentions of our treatment. You know, there are some things that are done with the hope for cure, and then there are some things that are done with the hope of just making people live as well as possible for as long as possible. And, And just making sure that we give patients hope, but with clarity about what we're doing is really so important um, because the patient needs to be informed so that they can make decisions about what is best for them, for their family, what is important to them, what milestones are they trying to get to. Knowing those things as as an oncologist is really important. We want to make sure that we're meeting the wishes and and desires of our patients.
0: And what would you say to encourage your patients to speak up then and, and to be a communicator as well?
1: You know, I think it's just important to be to make sure that the patient or the family, that there's somebody who is advocating and verbalizing what is important to them. Um, I try to make sure every single time that I meet a patient, that I ask them that question. Um, But if for some reason they're not asked that question, they need to feel comfortable to say it. You know, I mean, there are some patients that say, I don't want chemotherapy. I would rather just have X amount of time and and live well and not worry about coming to an infusion center. And it's my job as an oncologist to hear that and to respect that. And then there are some people who say, you know, let's, let's go to the ends of the earth and let's find the best thing that we can. And it's my job as an oncologist to plug them in with a trial, wherever that trial may be, and to give them those opportunities and open those doors. And so I just think it's important for patients to know that they should feel comfortable explaining what their goals and wishes are.
0: Awesome. Well, I know you're a busy woman. I don't wanna to take too much of your time, but is there anything I missed, anything else that you wanted to add or emphasize while we're
1: talking? No, I just think it's really, it's, you know, I just want to reiterate it. It's so wonderful what this foundation is doing. And, you know, I had the privilege of going to the one of the fundraisers before COVID. <laughs> and uh it's it's just immense to see what the power of people who are motivated can what, what they can do. Um, you know, and and supporting minds like Dr. Van Hoff and all, all of us that are engaged in research. It, there's just not enough thank yous in the world for us to say uh, because it's 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 the suit Chases of the world that are benefiting and that's really what matters.
0: Well, thank you so much for saying that and, and thank you for all the work that you're doing and all the lives that you're really continuing to save.
1: It's a privilege and an honor.
0: <laughs> we appreciate it and hopefully we'll see you again on future episodes. <laughs> I,
1: I hope so. Thank you so much.
0: Now I'm excited to introduce Sue Chase herself. She's gonna share her experience on that clinical trial. She's joining us with her daughter, Nicole. Hi, ladies, welcome. Hi, Mommy. Hi, Nicole. Nicole, I know you said your story of how you met Roger is a little bit convoluted, but um, I guess just start from the beginning. Okay.
2: So I was introduced to Roger and the Cena Magowitz Foundation through our client at the time, Gary Fazio with Sirta Simmons Betting, who was the chairman for the Cena Magowitz um, Golf Classic that year. And he wanted the event to be a certain way. And so he told Roger that he would agree to be the chairperson if he could bring his event planner to help with things. And that's when he inserted me to Roger and our love affair began. And we planned a fantastic event in Orlando. Our first thing was we broke a Guinness book world record um, of making the most amount of beds in one room with all purple sheets on behalf of the Cena Magowitz Foundation. And Gary gave an amazing speech that night and it was just an incredible event. And obviously I had listened to all of the stories and gotten to know Roger and um, you can't meet him and hear what he's doing and not fall in love. And so when the next year came and Gary was no longer with SSB and no longer the chairman, Roger said, so, and I said, you have us for life. And I always thought that doing the event pro bono for him would give me the um, security of never needing him for the reason I eventually did. But um, fast forward a few years um, and my mom came home with a mass in her pancreas and stomach. Well, that's what they had said. So the minute I heard pancreas, my first call was to Roger. And of course, you know, I mean, it only takes one phone call to him when he just immediately gets involved and, you know, asks the right questions. And we, you know, went through a series of different things before we ended up back in Roger's hands, but we ended up finding out that my mom had gallbladder cancer, um, you know, and Roger of course, went to Dr. Von Hoff as he always does for anybody who calls, he gets the right experts on the line. And I mean, you know, I had been involved with the organization. So I knew that whatever Dr. Von Hoff said was what we were gonna be doing for my mom. And at this point we had spoken, we had been to doctors in Miami, we had been to doctors in New York you know, they had given her the old, you know, kind of get your stuff together. Maybe you'll do this treatment, you know, maybe it will work. I mean, there was zero hope. And Dr. Von Hoff looked and he immediately told us about this trial that was being done in Tucson by Dr. Rachna Shroff, And it was actually using the, um, I think it was the triple that was funded by the Cena Magowitz Foundation. She was using that to help treat gallbladder cancer. And so I looked at my mom and I said, we're going to Arizona. And we went to Arizona and Dr. Von Hoff had rolled out the red carpet for us, you know, had called Dr. Schroff and she knew exactly who we were, and we got an appointment right away. And I mean, you know, you would have thought we were the president of the United States rolling in there. And this beautiful woman, inside and out, bursted into the room with hope, optimism, like just something that we had not seen remotely by anybody that we had spoken to. And she got my mom enrolled in the trial, which actually my mom randomized not in the trial, but she made sure my mom was gonna get the trial um, cocktail, which was the triple. And um, by golly, it worked. And, um, you know, she did the chemo and she, Spot like hell. And she was able to get on the operating table, which is all anybody asked for. And um, it's been over a year since her surgery. And, you know, we knock on wood and everything all the time, but, you know, she's getting clean scans. And I mean, I owe her life to Roger, really. I mean, there's nothing else to say. He You know, he always picks up the phone for anyone and the fact that I needed him and he delivered is, you know, I mean, what, what, what is there to say really, you know, I mean, undying gratitude. I have my mom here to annoy me and love me every day. I'm going to stop talking unless you have, I mean, that's, that's the story. And he has me forever. I will forever be the event planner or anything he wants me to be for the Cena Magowitz foundation. I will Um, answer the call to him as he did to me always and forever.
0: It's such a beautiful story. What was it like for you emotionally, like watching your mom go through this whole process?
2: I mean, I was, um, I was pretty harsh because it was like, you know, if you kind of give into it for one second, you could die and crumble because it's the scariest, most horrible thing. And, you know, I had watched people in Cena Magowitz do well. And so I... You know, kind of was that cheerleader that said, like, you can do this, you're doing it, you're like, you know, you're, you were, you know, horribly unlucky to get it, but we know the right people and you're gonna be one of the lucky ones that it's gonna work for. You know, it does work for some people and you're gonna be one of those people. And I just, you know, I just had all the hope and optimism cause I had just seen so many great stories coming out of Sina Magowitz, you know, year after year, all the survivors and warriors. And, you know, it's, you guys are doing great things. You know, you, we have made a difference already. People are living longer, healthier, you know, being cured. Um, so that's what my attitude was to her. I would not let her give in. That is for sure. (laughs) Do you think that positive attitude came uh,
0: just based on the Sina Magowitz Foundation? Or like, do you think you would have
2: had such a positive attitude if you were not involved? No, I don't. No, I would not have had any hope because where would I have seen it from? Because certainly no doctors that we spoke to in Miami Um, Even in New York, you know, when we went around, there was nobody remotely offered or told us about trials being done. Uh, No, there would have been been no reason to have any hope.
0: What would you say to encourage other family members that are in a similar situation to yours? Like, how would you encourage them to push their loved ones into Seeking alternative treatments?
2: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, one thing for sure we learned is you have to be your own advocate and you have to not settle for, you know, what you're being told. And, you know, you have to go outside the box and, you know, try and, you know, do research. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what I would have done. I mean, I happen to have been lucky and unlucky at the same time, you know, I mean, like I said, I, you know, I, I had hoped I never needed to call him, but in the event I ever heard the word pancreatic, I knew who to call. So I was so happy that, you know, it was, it was a lifesaver to be able to have somebody to call and to know that that person truly is like the world leader, you know, I mean that you can't get better than who I mean, it's, it's an incredibly, I mean, I feel lucky that I had that resource.
0: Awesome. Okay. Anything else you wanted
2: to share? Anything? Um- I love you, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> this whole video, I just, you know, keep doing what you guys are doing. I will forever support you. I mean, you know, I had a recent story where someone, you know, I talk about it and people know, and, you know, somebody called me that they had, you know, someone new with pancreatic cancer. I connected them with Roger. He made the call. I mean, it's like clockwork, how it happens, whether it's my mother or someone I don't even know. He, you know, which is the most incredible thing about Roger. Yeah, I agree for his you know, hundred gives a hundred percent. I would, you know, I would say I would like to think he would have treated me different, but honestly, he treats everybody so incredibly with the most, you know, unbelievable respect for life and people's feelings that he didn't have to treat me any differently because he literally treats strangers and loved ones alike. Incredibly.
0: Yeah, I agree. By the way, there's
2: like not many people that I have this much nice to say about.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. I get it. Working with him every day, seeing it, and everybody that knows him says the same thing. So he's in a league of his own. Yeah, I agree.
2: All right. I guess
0: we'll turn it over to you now. Let's hear it from your perspective.
3: Where would you like me to start?
0: <laughs> um, I think start maybe from the beginning. Did did you know that uh, Nicole was getting involved with this organization? Did she ever mention it to you, or was it until your diagnosis?
3: I really don't remember. <laughs> All I know is I became comatose when I got the diagnosis, and I got it from just a fluke when I had a little stomach ache and I went to urgent care and they sent me for a CT scan and then an MRI. And then they told me that I had two masses and they had made an appointment to see an oncologist. And at that point I went back to Miami because supposedly they had one of the best cancer centers there. And I was in there for a few days and it was terrible. The oncologist just came in and said, You have six months to live. We only have one protocol for this, it's two drugs. And, you know, that's all we can give you. And so I said, Don't let him come back in the room again. Then I left there and went back to Boone, North Carolina, where I had the diagnosis. I saw the cancer doctor here. And showed her Dr. Shroff's trial, and she said, "I would never do that. I let anybody take this because this is what's going to happen." And I wrote down about six things that could go wrong. Then Nicole dragged me up to New York to see the surgeon. The oncologist there actually said, "You have to go to Arizona. I can't get this third drug." it's not approved and that you're only saving grace because if you try the two drugs and it doesn't work you can't go and try this. So at that point there was no question where I was going and then I met the surgeons who also thank God were Nicole's friends And he came in smiling and I said, I don't think you know what I have. He said, I do, we're gonna get you to the operating table. I'm gonna cure you. So from there we ran to Arizona (laughs) and I had the whole contingent of family there. And Dr. Schroff walked in also smiling, beautiful. And I said, why are you smiling? Do you know what I have? And she said, Yes, I'm going to cure you. And then I showed her the list of what the other doctor had shown me. And she said, yeah, She doesn't understand. I said, Oh, okay. And she said, So we'll start tomorrow. And I said, We will. She said, Yep. Yeah. So wait, I cry a little. So there I was for 3 months and she sent my scans back up to the surgeons and they said oh she did so good let's send her for some more chemo. So I went to Florida, I got the rest of the chemo and then I flew up to New York and it'll be 2 years in November that I was operated on and they did an 11 hour operation because at the end, they couldn't figure out what was in my pancreas. It turned out that it wasn't cancer and it was just the head of my pancreas, but they had to do a whipple. And I stayed up in New York for a month to recover. Then I went out to Arizona again and she said, oh, you look marvelous, now you'll do some more chemo. So I said, okay. And I did another three months of chemo. I lost my hair. You can see it's back. And I love Roger I'm just very grateful. it was It was amazing. Roger even came to visit me in Tucson and brought me cookies. I don't think I've ever met anybody like him. It doesn't even matter what kind of cancer you have. He tries to find a cure for you. And Dr. Shroff is the most loving doctor I have ever met she was, she was always so encouraging. You know, every minute, you know, I could feel horrible. She said, No, you feel good. I said, Okay, I feel good. And then it was funny, because at the end of the whole thing, I said to her, Listen, I have to tell you something. I said, I hate chemo. And she said, Really, I don't really know anybody who likes it. And my surgeons also in New York, Dr. Fasuto was incredible. In fact, it was just up in New York and he surprised me by coming to visit me. I, I mean, I've never met such caring people in my life. Um, they're just amazing. And, and what's so wonderful is that they all work together. There's no ego. Like the oncologist at Mount Sinai, there was no ego. He said, "You've got to go there. You have to do this." He didn't care that I was leaving Mount Sinai. And and the doc, Dr. Fasuto, the surgeon, was in touch with Dr. Schroth. They and since then, Dr. Schroth is in. She's in touch with every oncologist that I go to for checkups because I get scans every three months. And they just don't have an ego. Yeah, They're, they They're just want you to be well. So I'm a fan of the xenomagos also. <laughs> and I, I just, I I don't know what to say to Dr. Von Hoff or to Roger. Because Dr. Von Hoff did get on the phone with me, but I didn't understand anything. He said I had to have a to go back and find out what he said. But they were they were really so wonderful. And of course, I love Nicole. She saved my life. No. I'm not quite talking about this, it's very hard. But I see all your podcasts with all the people and their hope and their prayers. And it's, it's just amazing what you're doing. It's wonderful.
0: That's my story. Um, about what you said about Nicole, what was it like having her as your cheerleader?
3: <laughs> I I didn't really think truthfully. I, I couldn't process anything. So I just, I just followed her wherever she took me. And she really laid me by the hand. I mean, she didn't let, she didn't let anybody interfere. She didn't let my husband, my son, nobody. She just took over. She's very bossy.
0: (laughs) What would you say to someone going through a similar situation like what you went through? To encourage them. I would say you have to
3: keep going. If somebody says they can't help you, don't take that for an answer. Because either there's a cure or there's a trial. And I know the difference between not going further and not looking for the right person. Because I've tried to send one or two people to the Xenomagwitz. They spoke with the doctors and then they decided to stay where they were and it wasn't a good ending. So I mean, I stayed in Arizona for three months. I didn't really care where I was as long as I lived.
0: And what has this past year been like? What was it like? reaching that past that six month mark that they told you.
3: Well, it's been great, but I got to keep going. (laughs) In fact, I kept my port because that's my insurance.
0: And tell me about the shirt that you wore today.
3: Well, it says, Believe in Miracles. And the doctors all say I'm a miracle because they haven't really cured people with gallbladder. So I hope that Dr. Schroff's trial gets passed and now everybody could get this treatment. Although there were very few people with gallbladder cancer.
0: What is it like being a miracle, a walking miracle? (laughs)
3: I guess at one point I'll believe it. I mean, I haven't even really believed that I had cancer. It's, ve- it's very hard to believe that. And especially because I feel like I felt before I was diagnosed. And when I was diagnosed, I felt wonderful, except for a tiny pain.
0: And that's how you feel good now? I feel great.
3: I can do everything. You know, I exercise, I do everything. That's so awesome. Yeah, the best part is I get to see my kids and my grandkids. So that's great, that's wonderful.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And thank you, Nicole.